Nick Helm and Nathaniel Metcalf's fan club on Fubar Radio. And we're off. And we're off. It started now. Right. You, you pipe down, Natalie. Right. So, and we're, here we are uh, uh, for another bleary-eyed <laughs> five-star family fun size fan club. Um, my name is Nick Helm. I'm a little my old. name is Nathaniel Metcalf. You were just talking over me, Nathaniel. That's bang I beg your pardon. Sorry, what did he say? I was just going to say, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a young boy. Can you hear me? Yes. Hmm. I don't, I'm, not, I'm not always aware that you've got me turned up, in fact. Um, <laughs> fine. All right, we'll do it. Um, my name's Nick, and this is a good chum. Nathaniel Metcalf. Yes, and we were just about to do another... Two hours of top knot. It's two hours. I mean, when you say it like that at the beginning of the show, you think, how are we ever going to get through it? Somehow we do. Anyway. I mean, this is too early. <laughs> anyway, so... <laughs> we started, we started <laughs> earlier than normal. It's not even early in, in the real grand scheme of things. In the real world, it's not. But it all, early is all about... It's all relative, isn't it? It's about what time you went to bed. Mm. Uh, so... Let's not bring our personal lives into this. <laughs> so my, <laughs> um, uh, I feel like we, uh, okay, so today is um, Friday. Yes. For the listeners. It's Friday. Uh, it's, Monday. it's Friday, midday. It's Monday for us. And uh, it's any day of the week you choose to listen to it as a podcast. And it doesn't matter. The year is 2027 when someone's unearthed this glorious episode and uh, yeah it'll be fine um so um uh i've forgotten how to do the show how do you do the show um we say uh welcome to five star fan club yeah uh, we've done that we've done that we've introduced ourselves and i say to you michael what is the first rule of fan club and i say tell your friends about fan club yeah and i say what's the second rule of fan club and then we say, please, please, for the, for the love of God, tell your friends. And then we just do the, the next two hours. And then we do the two hours. That's the so if anyone is scratching their head thinking, what's the format for this show? Well, I'll tell you. I'll, I'll, I'll give you a little <laughs> tour behind the wizard's curtain. The first section of the show is uh, saying what our names are and then what the show's called, and, yeah. then, uh, the, and then we do the second section of the show, which is talking. talking. So, <laughs> just talking, it's just a podcast. Do you know what? I've, I've started getting into the podcasts. Oh, yeah, what have you been listening to? Uh, mainly Radio 5. <laughs> <laughs> Radio 5? Isn't that sport? Yeah. Radio 5 Live. Well, it doesn't matter. It's whatever. It was. I just like hearing voices in the flats, that's all. Um, so... Um, what have you been up to this week? Well, um, I've seen a couple of, of new Brian De Palmas, and when I say new, I mean 33 to 31 years old. I think you have forgotten the format, because, Nathaniel, if we jump into what we've seen already within the third minute of the show, we've got fuck all for the next half hour. <laughs> so we have to do a little bit of chatting. Right, I haven't, well, uh, what have I done? I've done... Gosh... Uh, it's lockdown, isn't it? So it's all like... I went to... See what I did? I went to the Tate Britain. And I went to the Aubrey Beardsley what? exhibition. What's and the Tate Britain? The one, you know, the older older art gallery. Older, what is it? modern one. 
on Millbank, so it's sort of near Westminster. Oh, you mean the one opposite uh, Chandos? No, no. Uh, this is like... I'm thinking of the National Portrait Gallery, aren't I? Yes, you are, yeah, that's exactly yes. what you're thinking of. Silly me. So Silly I, you. I went to, yeah, Tate Britain, which was, used to just be the Tate Gallery, I guess, in the pre-2000s. And yeah, 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 I guess so, yeah. And <laughs> went there on my bike, cycled all the way there, took my little bike, went to see uh, an exhibition, walked around. People were sort of annoying, lots of old people there who are just there because they, they feel like they're supposed to be there. And so they're just talking about what they're having for their tea and things and getting people's way. And it's, you know, it's, it, it, it's, it, it's, it's locked down still, so you probably should stay at home if you don't have to go, if you don't want to go. Uh, did that uh, Friday. Did they do anything on Friday? Whoa, 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 literally. Nathaniel, you've just... Oh, come on. You just said you went to a cultural experience and you just oh. talked about the fact that there was a queue. I went to see the Aubrey Beard's exhibition. Well, hang on, for a start, I still can't I can't work out where this fucking building is. Where is right, it? Where it's sort of, it's, I guess the nearest uh, underground station would be Pimlico. Pimlico. So it's sort Can of near... Is there like a... Is it like a Pizza Express nearby or something like that? that <laughs> no, it's sort of on. It's on the bank side, so it's on um, the embankment sort of side of the Thames. Uh, it's a huge building. Do you know the Tate Modern? That's like the the other one. I know the Tate Modern. I can't even imagine where Pimlico is. Pimlico is sort of quite near. I guess Victoria. It's not far from Victoria Station. You could walk to Victoria Station quite easy, about 10 minutes, I reckon. Yeah, but Victoria Station's one of those stations where it feels like you, you travel there by tube and then you, you're in Victoria, but you've got no discernible uh, way of telling whereabouts in London it is. If you're travelling west past Westminster Bridge... Westminster. <laughs> where Parliament is, and uh, Big Ben and all that. So Big Ben. Big oh, Club. Big Ben. Yeah, I know Big Ben. Keep going down that road for a bit. You took a bit of Millbank, which is where Tate Modern is. Tate, Tate Britain is. No, never been. You never went to school or anything to Tate Gallery? No, I think I've, I think I've been, but... I can't think where it is. Oh, I keep thinking. <laughs> Every day... So there were queues, were there? Queues, yeah, queues. Uh, anyway, which Brian De Palma movies did you watch? No, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, uh, right, okay, so you went to the Tate Modern and there was a, what was the, what was the exhibition? I went to the Aubrey Beards exhibition and... What did you do at, what, what did you do at school, Nathaniel? What did I do at school? I did, um, uh... Uh, what for like A levels and things? I did all the regular things in my A levels. Yeah, I did yeah, art. Like, it's like after after school curricular stuff. I didn't do anything. Nah, me neither. No. Um, so no, what what what? Because I did art, right? So we would have gone to like. Um, I think we probably went. I've. My dad is very cultured, so he he is the guy that will take us to the theatre. Um, he'll do it because he's got like vouchers. Mm -hmm. 
so we'll always go and see a really inappropriate kind of piece of uh, urban theatre where you go, oh, it's mum's birthday and this isn't... We went to see a show that was all about... Um, uh, it was my mum's birthday. We went to see a show which was me. I was maybe 12. My sister was 15. It was my mum and my dad. My dad had some vouchers that he cut out of the newspaper and we all went to see a play about two young boys on a council estate that were giving each other hand jobs. <laughs> um, it was like, it was like, you know, it's a great play. It was a really good play. I can't remember what the name of the, it was a, I think it's quite a famous play. I can't remember what the name of the play, but they were using a peppermint uh, foot, foot lotion to wank each other off. Okay. And, um, it was, they just talked a lot about wanking each other off. And it was like a really good play, but I was 12 and it was my mum's birthday and everyone was just like going, why did, what made you think of that one, Tony? Uh, to celebrate, to celebrate. It, like we were all, I mean, if we'd all gone separately, it would have been great, you know? But like you sat next to your mum and dad and everyone talking about wanking each other off for two hours. And it's just like, oh yeah, 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 cool. Next time, maybe Starlight Express. You know, it's always worth remembering. You should always read the synopsis of something before you. Basically, your two things you need to look out for when you see any cultural event: running time, number one; synopsis. There, you two in that order. Yeah, and it, but, but to be fair, if you don't like watching people wank each other off for two hours, maybe Starlight Express is the wrong show to go to. <laughs> um, it's, uh, Yes, come on, here we go. Yeah, but so my dad always used to take the stuff. So, like, I'm like, I can't, for the life of me, think where the Tate is. I know where the Tate Modern is. I know where the National Portrait Gallery is. I'm not a moron. I went to, yeah, but I did, like, um, art A-levels. So we kind of, like, used to... What, we, what I'd do in my A-levels is I would go around the gallery as quickly as possible... And then I'd buy postcards so that I could look at the pictures later. <laughs> we didn't have the internet back then. You had to buy postcards. But, of course, back then, postcards were cheaper. They're so expensive now. £2.50. They were 20p for a postcard. And so you could do all of... You could do an entire gallery for a quid. Do you know what I mean? Hey, Brilliant. Hey. Brilliant. That's what I used to do. But so, so, who, so what's the name of this artist that you went to see? This guy called Aubrey Beardsley. And I was kind of quite interested in, in quite a lowbrow way because he's, he sort of draws, he's, he's an illustrator more than he's uh, an artist in that sense. But I think he's sort of been elevated over this time. And he's um, a contemporary of Oscar Wilde and people like that from that era, the Victorian era. And he would draw quite often quite risque illustrations, but he's been taken up in the art world, I think sort of in the 60s, but what he is, it's commercial art, and it's also uh, pen and ink drawing. So a lot of what he does that, that I find quite interesting is how that artwork is reproduced in different printing techniques. So I was looking at it almost from quite a, a comics-y way, and he's obviously been a huge influence on lots of comic book artists that I like. Um, and that was it, really. I was just sort of going to... And I thought it would be nice to have a quite a... <clears throat> something quite cultural... And that was one of my options from coming back to, um, uh, you know, well, sort of coming out of lockdown and just before we go back in again to, to uh, 
to have a bit no, of was, yesterday. was that yesterday? That was last Thursday. Oh, right. Okay. Um, so news just in, by the way. Have you seen this, Nick? Natalie yeah. has lost her Wi-Fi, so she is disappeared from the, the recording, and she's currently floating around cyberspace like the net. So we're on our own. We're unfettered. We're, we're, we're recording, but we are... This is unplugged, literally, if you're Natalie. But does that mean that... Oh, OK, so we are... But we're not tethered. We're not tethered. I think we so can... I, unless she's trying to get back in and... But she's, she, she lets the guest in. Yeah, maybe oh, we have what? to let the guest in. Well, but I think we should just run with it and see what happens. Natalie's phoning me. She's phoning me. God, this is like... This is as it happens. Oh, um, no. oh, this is exciting. Oh. Can you put on speaker? Hello, hello. Nick is hello. talking to Natalie on the phone because Natalie's hello. Wi-Fi has dropped out. We're currently recording these over the Zoom um, app. There you go. And uh, Natalie has, has no, we're still lost. On. We're on air. So we're still, yeah, we're, we're, we're broadcasting live. No, we have no producer. Foobar is normally the station <laughs> that, of course, is fucked up beyond all recognition. Um, and then this is so fucked up no. that we don't even have a producer. We could say whatever we like right now uh, and no one can stop us, even though um, no one technically can stop us usually. Because we're allowed to tell you anyway, because FUBAR is uncensored radio. Uh, it's shocking. Um, so this is this is quite an interest. This is like um, what should I feel be? like this is this is probably how the uh, news readers felt on the day that Diana died, and they're just filling time. This is rolling news in an era before rolling news. And we don't even have the option that Rolling News has. So what do we do? I think what we're discussing now is Natalie's own um, Wi-Fi has dropped out. means that she's rudderless and no one is producing the show. The Zoom, the Zoom says it's still recording. And I believe that Nick, in the absence of the host, Natalie, has made the host of it. So I can't work out why Natalie can't just re-enter the chat. Can she not re-enter the, the, the Zoom sphere? I see what I could do. I could play a song. You always play a fucking song. <laughs> yeah, all right. Right, well, I'll tell, tell you what Brian De Palma oh, films have seen. <laughs> <the beginning>. Oh, <laughs> no. I'm quite enjoying it, to be honest. I think this is the kind of um, haphazard so, uh, crazy zoo radio. That is the kind of thing that will get us perhaps a, what, what, a Sony Award? Is it still a Sony Award? Because it's like we're against it. We are like um, K to AD or something on the, the, the front lines of war. Okay. Um, we're like war correspondents. We're rudderless. It's me and Nick oh, on our own. That's it's recording. Broadcasting right? today. I say me and Nick, it's me. Nick's on the phone. <laughs> I was. <laughs> I was busy on a call, I'm afraid. It was very unprofessional, but it was actually the producer of the show that was phoning me. Luckily, uh, I, was on, I was standing by, and I stepped in. Have um, you seen Alan Bennett's Talking Heads? It was like one of them. It was gripping, and I was revealing little bits of that while I was... Getting there. to the bottom of where this bloody Tate place is, I would... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, a place called Pimlico. Um, I only know the plumbers from Pimlico, but... Uh, There's a gallery they, as well. And the gallery. 
Um, the two things that Pimlico have. They've also got the film A Passport to Pimlico, the Ealing comedy, Passport to Pimlico. Is it Sid James? Is it Sid James? Uh, I think he... He's not the main star, but I think he does pop up in it. I think he's in that. I think he might be in that. We've been seeing Sid James in a film that's not a carry-on film, isn't it? Because you're just thinking... He's also in quite a lot of crime films. If you watch a lot of British movies, he's quite like... He's obviously quite a hard-looking bloke. He often plays, like, villains and things in in some crime. I've got a picture of him. I've got a picture of him up there uh, (laughs) from Carry On Cowboy. Yeah. And he's got his hat on, and he's got his, like... uh, uh, he's got like a black shirt and a red sort of neckerchief and it's Sid James from Carry On Cowboy. Do you remember what he's called in that film? L... Oh, is he called uh, the Rumpo Kid? Rumpo Kid, yeah. <laughs> yes. It's not L, but at the end they go, Hey, Rumpo! And yeah, the <laughs> Rumpo Kid. Um, but he looks like um, like a proper movie star. Yeah, he looks like he looks like proper old school. I mean, yeah, you could put him alongside people like James Stewart and. I wonder Harry where they Gra- filmed Carry James. On Cowboy. Is it filmed I in the UK? It, I think they filmed it in Essex. Wow. There's um, there's a uh, uh, there's a Wild West um, corral in um, in Essex. Yeah. Well, it's where they filmed Red Dwarf, Gunman of the Apocalypse. I mean, this is fucking on point, right? <laughs> this is... <laughs> this, this is... This is that's where they filmed Red Dwarf, Gunman of the Apocalypse. There's this... Um, well, maybe they didn't. Well, I'm assuming that they filmed it there, because it's like this Wild West town. But may, maybe, because it was the 60s. Was it 60s? So, yeah. God, that feels like such a long time ago. But, is yeah, it, so they... Well, yeah, but, like... I, I've got most things in context, but they were making carry-on films when the Beatles were making music. And you go, okay. Yeah. It's kind of like... What's number one at the box office? Carry-on camping. <laughs> and <laughs> and Sergeant Pepper's just been released. Well, I'm, 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 I am uh, reading a book that's with uh, an upcoming guest about that era in particular right now. Well, I've got, I've got the audio book. I'm not reading it. It doesn't count, does it? But... Um, it, can I just ask a question? Go if you it. listen to if you listen to a book, does it count as reading it? I like to think it does. I feel like so. You know what what I feel is this is how I feel. I feel that when it's non-fiction, it seems fine. I think when it's fiction, you might be missing something. That's how I always feel. Or by reading it yourself. Yeah, I feel if like you're not... getting more out of it reading it yourself. I think when it's non-fiction, I'm sort of fine with it. I think it feels like you're getting all there. <laughs> What you need yeah, to it's, it's sort of like a um, uh, information transfer. Do you know mm. what I mean? It's like, yeah, thanks for that. But this is just stuff that's really happened. Whereas if you're reading a fiction, then um, if you're reading a fiction, then uh, you, you're meant to use your imagination to fill in a lot of the gaps. Mm. Um, yeah. The the thing about um, what is interesting, I suppose, is the closest you can think of that is is the film Hard Day's Night, Richard Lester, Superman two, three. Um, he uh, obviously the Musketeer movies. Musketeer movies, of course. Um, yeah. He directed Hard Day's Night, and Hard Day's Night, of course, has the Beatles in it, but it also has like Wilfred Bramble. Um, yeah. As I think, Hard um, Help, I think, has is that Frankie Howard in it. Is that sort of there's lots of those kind of British 
comedy stars. Oh, he's not in it. You're right. I think he was meant to be in it, and he got cut out. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, I think there are there's like footage or photographs of him in it, floating about. Really? Yeah, I think you can see him. I think if you Google it, Frankie Howard help. I think there's bits with him in the film that you've got photos of, or maybe even. Frankie Howard was in uh, Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club, uh, the movie. Oh, I've never seen that. Is oh, it it's shit. I'd it like is to see fucking it. shit. It's so mental. It's um. So what is it? It's well, what I would say is Hard Day's Night. There is too much Wilfred Bram. Bram. What's his name? Wilfred Bramwell. Wilfred Bramble. Real Wilfred Bramble. You dirty old man. Yeah. Right. Okay. No. But in this, That's of course, him. he's, um, he's a very he good goes, old man. He goes, Harold, Harold, you dirty old man. That's uh, obviously uh, Harry H. Corbett there, star of Carry On Screaming. Um, so, but no, it's way too much Wilfred Bramble in um, uh, Hard Day's Night. Yeah, and it's sort of like, he's a very clean old man, isn't he? Very clean. Yeah. And it's like, oh, it's very that clean. is like, that is literally... A, that's like one of them fucking epic movies where they've watched a trailer for something and then put the joke in the film and then by the time the film's released it's dated do you know what I mean yeah. it's so weird that they've it's got meta, such a, it's a meta joke sort of that's to play to sort of an English audience not realising that probably the majority of that audience for that film were billions of screaming American girls who are going why does he keep saying this Oh, yes, he's very, very clean. Why have I I queued up all week to go and see a Beatles movie and the main star of it is a 90-year-old man uh, from Steptoe and Sight. Like, he's in it so much and you just go, fucking hell. I like that he's in it so much. I I think A Hard Day's Night is a five-star film. I think it's so good. I love it from beginning to end. Yeah, it's fine. I but I prefer help. I, yeah, hard days night for me. I think help is is incredible. Like I just think it's I, I think it's so. There's so many. There's so many bits. Like the their house where they've uh, got four doors, and then when they all enter the house, it's like one big house inside. Yeah, I just think everything. I I love. I love well, I don't know. It's weird because I think. It hasn't aged very well, but I do. I think the songs in Help are incredible as well. Those two albums, I mean, I would stand by this. I think those two albums are their best albums. That is the era of the Beatles that I like the most. Mm. I don't like the psychedelic stuff that much. And I really love the cover, ver- you know, the cover versions that they did on the first few albums. And mm. then Help, I think, is like my... I think Help is my favourite album. Yeah. Um, and the film, you know, it's all right, I suppose. I don't know. I've got fond memories of growing up watching it, but um, but that didn't have Frankie Howard in it. That had um, Victor Spinetti's uh, in it. Isn't he? Who's that? He's the Welsh actor. Yes, yeah, and he's he, he plays the um, he plays the TV producer in Hard Day's Night. Yes, and then yes. plays a doctor. He plays a doctor in Help, and um, what's his face? Uh, Roy, uh, Roy Kinnear. Oh yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Who's, uh, yeah, so you've got Roy Kinnett, and so they're the committee. But, like, right, okay, so um, Sergeant Pepper is fucking dog shit. It's, um, so it's basically, <laughs> they've made, I've got the, I've got, well, I've got the soundtrack uh, on vinyl because Alice Cooper's in it. Right? Oh, right. He plays uh, the Sun King. And, um, 
but it's literally so so they need four Beatles. So the Beatles aren't anything to do with it. It's basically a cover. It's a, it's a weird film. It's this film where they basically wanted to make they wanted to make. Well, this is a little bit like audiobook and reading it for yourself. So when you listen to Sergeant Pepper, your imagination fills in all the gaps and you go, wow, right, okay. I, and you picture it a very certain way. And then they've basically illustrated the entire album um, on... Um, well, it can't just be that album, but it's like greatest hits, maybe. But uh, they've, they've illustrated the Beatles songs with actors. Well, not actors. Um, and because of the budgetary requirements, it's basically, it's the Bee Gees and Peter Frampton walking around a garden centre for like an hour and a half. It's like, maybe it's like Disneyland or somewhere. There's kind of like, I haven't seen it in years, but there's kind of like, they're on kind of like a bandstand and George Burns is in it and Frankie Howard is in it, Steve Martin. And it's just kind of like every so often someone comes along and does kind of like a sketch or a set piece. And it's, but it's like a proper film. Mm. It's bloody awful. It's fucking. Yeah, it's, it's, I, think, I think now that Apple, the Beatles Apple, I think they kind of, they do try and like minimise any kind of um, showings of it, don't they? They try and uh, suppress it in much the same way they suppress the, uh, the Star Wars Christmas special. I think it's got that sort oh, really? of thing about it. Yeah, I don't think it's, it's ever had an official release. It doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't come up at all in conversation. Like you know, never seen it's it. obviously. Well, I've never seen Magical Mystery Tour. Have you ever seen Magical Mystery Tour? Yeah, I've got that. I've got that. That's really well. It's 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 certainly at the point where it's all odd, uh, but there's a lot of like, it's trying to recreate that sort of hard days night thing, but probably a few years later where they're they're just much happier being more like oblique and weird and odd. So it's a lot weirder than those. And it's got no interest in really having a proper narrative. And it is just like they go off on this mystery tour on a bus and then weird stuff happens. But it's quite watchable. And it's, it's like, uh, it's fun. It was hated at the time because that was made for, that was not made for movies. That was funded. It's essentially like a Beatles movie, but it was made by the BBC. Or first, or made by Apple and to be screened on the BBC on a Boxing Day. And I think the BBC saw it as this big kind of, oh, well, this will be one of the, the sort of um, flagpoles of our kind of Christmas schedule. We're going to have a big Beatles movie on Boxing Day. And what they delivered was this like very weird film that ended up being shown on like eight o'clock on Boxing Day as this big flagship Christmas bit of TV, and I think was like hated by the public because it was seen as this weird. sort of too weird. Yeah, like why can't you just do something normal? Yeah, <laughs> uh, a beginning, a middle, and an end, guys. Stop fucking around. Wasn't it? Didn't Paul McCartney um, direct most of it? He did. He's got like, and it was when they were all interested in filmmaking. So it's all like they're all, they've all been watching. Um, we've all been watching foreign films. And we're all going to try and make our own foreign film. So I think they've all been given oh, like little. Great. I think that's great. Uh, if, maybe if uh, Ringo, you stand a little bit closer to George. <laughs> <laughs> so there's um, lots of bits of it which I think are like filmed by them themselves on their own little cine cameras and things, and that's been part of it. So it's a bit like, you know, it's all them sort of, which I had to make some arty films. Um, 
they like art. Um, and that's just that's the thing, no, That's the thing. I mean, that's, why, that's how I feel about the albums. I'm just like, just do, just do a fucking song. <laughs> Stop fucking wanking around with stuff. I, I find it frustrating. So, yeah, I like help. I think I think that's the Beatles probably... look their best at the time of Hard Day's Night and Help. I think they all Isn't look, they look like sort of similar suits but slightly different. I really like that, where they're kind of they're like the turtles. They're very much like the teenage mutant ninja turtles. Yeah. <laughs> similar gear, oh, yeah. slightly different. All right, all right, all right. You've laid down the gauntlet. So um, right, um, Paul McCartney is Leonardo. Oh, is he? Um, yes. Well, I guess that Michelangelo would probably be more likely to be Ringo than any of the others. Michelangelo, Ringo is Michelangelo, right? right. Then you've got, um, I would say John is Raphael. Yeah. And George is Donatello. I, I'd, I'd be happy with that. And every time you see four blokes, right? Yeah. You can always, and I mean always, equate them to the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. We'll do it again. <laughs> take that. Take that. Gary Barlow, Leonardo. Five and take that, though. <sighs> I mean, he's definitely Leonardo. April O'Neil. Uh, Gary Barlow is Leonardo, right? Right. Okay, so then you've got Howard Donnell. <laughs> he's Barlow. Like... Yeah, he's <laughs> like Predator or something. He's. He's a bloke who's got, like, um, a little goblin in his belly. Uh, <laughs> You've got one of fucking four... That's Krang. 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 Um. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, how we can do this? Okay, so, Gary Barlow is Leonardo. For sure. Agreed. 100%. Right. That's, that's okay. locked in. That's locked in? Mm-hmm. That's locked down. <laughs> um, right. Robbie... Is, I'd say he's Michelangelo. You'd say Robbie's Michelangelo. I'd say Robbie's Raphael. He's always fucking off on his own and then coming back again and goes, sorry, guys. I suppose, yeah. I was trying to think of the one who's a bit loud and a bit mouthy. And then all of the other three, I would say, are sort of like Bart Simpson. So... Works for everything. <laughs> works for absolutely everything. Every, everything. Right? But it's weird. It doesn't really work with the turtles. Because I would say Leonardo is Raphael, but Michelangelo is Donatello. Donatello, Raph. Uh, we've already had them. Anyway, you get you get the joke. I can't be bothered to finish that one off. So, um, God, you the sun is The sun is bright in your eyes today. No way, it really um, is. And uh, we do, we're doing it at a different time. And I think I even might have to. Um, yeah, that's better. That was ridiculous. I think Moretta was melted. That was ridiculous. And uh, obviously, uh, 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 Donatello is Michelangelo. So, um, he, uh, here's the thought. Let's play a song. <laughs> <laughs> These words he speaks are true. We're all human stew. If we don't pledge allegiance to the Black Widow. <laughs> Nick Helm and Nathaniel Metcalf's fan club on Bar Radio. We're back. Um, okay, this has been a roller coaster of an episode. 
Uh, we've named all of Take That as members of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, if we haven't found <laughs> And uh, If you've just uh, joined us, you might want to go back and listen again to that. If you've just joined us in a podcast, I don't know why you would start a podcast and <laughs> jump in half an hour into it and just think, you know, everything is precursor, but like, it's fine, it's fine. No, you do it the way you want to do it. And that's very much the rule of uh, this show. Um, we're not... Uh, uh, um, beholden to such things as, you know, structure, professionalism. You can't uh, we're start just... a show again just because you want to start listening halfway through. We can't do that. that. Not even halfway through. I can understand halfway, but quite Yeah, I can understand that too. I can't understand that. Um, so, um, right. What Brian De Palma films did you see this week? <laughs> <laughs> so, The Untouchables... And casualties oh. of war. Right. Ah, uh, yeah, that's like, that goes from like one of my favourites to one of my least favourites. Really? Because I was, I was convinced. I was that I'd seen casualties of war and I, it was a bit like, oh, this might be hard to get through. I thought it was brilliant. That made me think, maybe I've never seen this. I thought it was brilliant. I thought it was I such good so. drama. I don't think I've seen it in such a long time. Did it come out the same year as Platoon? Probably 89 was Casualties of War, so oh, a bit no. around then. Platoon was 87. Okay. I remember that because when... Because um, uh, I, I moved out of London in 88, and there were all these huge posters for Platoon on billboards and stuff all over London, and I just remember Willem Dafoe with his arms in the air. God fucking hell. Ooh. Ooh. I just don't get it. I mean, I, I know, I just don't really get into war films. I just don't. I don't love them. I, no, I, mean, I don't mean like. I don't mean like love them. Do you know what I mean? I used to have a friend at school that was just like, yeah, fucking hell. Have you seen Hamburger Hill? Oh, it's great. And you go, yeah. <laughs> just even the name made me feel like, ugh. But um, yeah, I'm not really into that sort of stuff. But um, Casualties of War is interesting because it's Michael J. Fox, like making a decent stab at doing something that's not for kids. It's like... And is great in it. Like, I thought, like, he's also, at that time, I remember him doing that, and he did Bright Lights, Big City, and they were both, at, at the time, 18 certificate. And I remember being a kid and going, oh, man, I can't go and see these Michael J. Fox movies. This is bullshit. Because mm. um, <laughs> um, I would have done, like, it's almost that he was such a big star to me as a kid that I'd have loved to have seen any new Michael J. Fox film. As it turned out, I'd probably have been very disturbed had I gone to see Casualties of War. Uh, but yeah. so it's probably good that I didn't see it. But he's great in it. He's such... like He's so Michael J. Foxy in the way that... like he, I sort of think of him as someone that does sort of light comedy. And this is really serious drama. And he really pulls it off up against... like Because it's Sean Penn, John C. Riley, John Leguizamo... And it just feels like you're watching, like, a play with, like, you know, the best actors in New York or whatever. And you kind of think, God, at that time, they would have... It was sort of before any of them became super famous. But apart from Penn, I guess, Penn would have been a big deal then. But it really does feel like he's up against, like, heavyweight, probably theatre actors in that film. And they really... He really holds his own. Sean Penn would have been married to Madonna at the time, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And that was when he was sort of like a tabloid guy. 
Yes, bad yes. Boy. he's the bad boy, and he but um, because he's had a he's had a weird career because we're, we're first times at Richmond High, and then and then like real and then what's that fucking we no angels? Yeah, I was thinking of that almost immediately. Yeah, it's like he's had this almost starts off in these kind of comedies, and then very early on is like quite heavyweight within like a year. Like heavy. But that's the thing, he was such a fucking shit to Michael J. Fox on the set of Curses. Yes, yeah. He watched that, you watched that De Palma documentary, and uh, Brian De Palma's just kind of like, well, I was just the director, so I was, yeah. just trying to make, I was just trying to make the film. He doesn't pick a side, but you just think, come on, no. stick up for Michael And Fox. it's interesting it's not De Palma who's doing it, it's Penn, because De Palma's almost like staying outside of this thing, but Penn, in that way, it's interesting he became a director later, he's kind of orchestrating that film. And so Penn almost gathers the other guys and has it them versus Michael J. Uh, Fox. Michael J. Fox. So basically it's orchestrated by Penn where they just refuse to speak to Fox. So, so Michael J. Fox is on his own, like the character is in the film. And the other guys are kind of, like Penn and the other guys are almost setting up to sort of bully him, essentially. And, yeah, they did uh, and ostracise him. Yeah. They did do that. And yeah. it's like, um, uh, but it's like... It, in between takes, like, Sean Penn would, like, absolutely smash the fuck out of a scene. And then he'd turn around to Michael J. Fox and goes, uh, this is film acting. Yeah. And, and you're a TV actor because of Family Ties. And you go, yeah, sure, but he's done Back to the Future, right? Which is better than any film that's ever been made. <laughs> and he's incredible in it. Yeah. And also, he did it on three hours sleep a night. It's kind mm. of like, he's... That's the thing, though. It's like Michael J. Fox. He didn't do loads, but he's a movie star. Mm. Like, he is, like, one of my fondest... Mm. Well, this... Okay, Casualties of War. Um, but uh, And uh, Untouchables is just great, right? Yeah. Oh, Untouchables is untouchable. It's... it's And, again, it's... I, I saw Untouchables within the last couple of years. I've seen it in a recent memory. And it's I've like... You've seen it since lockdown? I've seen it during lockdown, yeah. And oh, it's because Ennio Morricone died, so I watched it. Oh, right, yeah. Um, and it's... Even then, every time I watch it, I forget how good it is. And it's brilliant. It's like... Because every scene is like a set piece that you remember. Like, it's that kind of... You couldn't get through it without going, oh, I love this bit, I'll just watch this bit. You get yeah, on to sure. the next bit, which is the next... It just goes from scene to scene to scene... You know, it's that, and it makes me think this is genuinely the best way how to make a film. I keep thinking that, that if you ever try and write a film, the best way to do it is just have these scenes that are just like memorable, a memorable scene followed by a memorable scene followed by a memorable scene. Um, yeah. And I guess that's that it, it's similar to the most recent <laughs> film I think that's done that really successfully would be something like Inglorious Bastards, where it's like, a huge set-piece scene followed by a huge set-piece scene. So you can't really watch it without going, I'll just watch this bit and then I'll do something. I'll just watch... And it's it's like that. It, it, it's put together like that, like, in a really smart... Like, each scene is like a little short film that's brilliant. Right. But one following another. And it does that yeah. for two hours and then it's out. The whole story's yeah. done and you're out. And you just go, perfect. What a great way of making a film. Just like a series of, like, little brilliant scenes. Yeah, but you say I think um, uh, I I think Inglorious Bastards is um, it is that, mm. but it's not more than that. I think Inglorious Bastards is 
uh, is the best film. Hmm. And I love it. But I also think um, that it doesn't, it doesn't, I don't know. You could sit, literally sit down and watch a scene at random and go, yes. yeah, this is great. I would say the but, difference between that and Untouchables is that the Untouchables, you don't notice that's what it is. Yeah, exactly. No, exactly. Um, uh, but with Inglorious Bastards, it feels like it's a bunch of 10-minute uh, short films all strung together. And um, it's almost like uh, he's... It's almost like he's done, like, a 10-minute story a week for a year. And yeah. uh, then and, uh, he's... It's almost like webisodes. And then at the end of it, you go, yeah, that's kind of a film. Whereas Untouchables is a complete film, but there's just so many standout sequences. It's incredible. Oh, God, the bit on the roof is incredible. Um, and, and just, like... Because uh, he's not... He's, he doesn't do much anymore, Kevin Costner. But it's like... There's, so, there's a period of films where he was just he just made good films yeah and it's and it's there's something that is the movie starness about that when you're putting a film where you're up against de niro you've got de niro who's your villain and your sidekick is sean connery you've really got to raise your game if you don't want to be just a, a nobody and it's, yeah. and it's just that costner comes out of that if he wasn't already like it is almost that scene at the end at the end of that He's like, oh, he's arrived. You know what I mean? It feels like it, by yeah, the end, well, yeah. Costner is a huge megastar. Yeah, I mean, yeah, because you could get swallowed by that cast, but yeah. in actual fact, they feel very much like they're supporting him. Mm. And yeah, yeah, that's great. Sean, I think not everyone does, but I think uh, Sean Connery is great in that film. Mm. Um, and that's kind of like the first of his films where he was kind of like going, "Well, what do I do now with my career?" Well, no, he did Highlander, didn't he? Yeah, and it's funny. That like, I'm going to be, I'm going to be like the mentor character now. That's what I'm going to do. So he did Highlander, and then he did Untouchables, and then he did Indiana Jones, and it's just like, yeah, all right, cool, right. But that was like a transitionary period in his career where he was like, okay, what do I do now? And it's funny right. that almost by the end of his career, he's, he becomes virtually a lead again. <laughs> by the end, he's right. like, yeah, I'm now the star again. I'm just the old man who's a star in action. Yeah, right. Good films. Um, what did I see? Um, well, i tell you what I saw. I went to the cinema yesterday. Oh, yeah. I went to an Odeon Lux. Oh, I've not been to one of them. Is that when they give you, like, uh, peanuts or something? Fuck me. It's incredible. Uh, there's a little button in the seat and you press it and then you have, like, a foot rest. And you're, you're, you're fucking... So your seat reclines. I would say in a cinema... You would have like 250 seats, right? Yeah. And Ogin Lux is like 100 seats, and you have an armrest which which raises, so you've basically got a sofa if you want. And I, I mean, it's it was incredible. And I went to see uh, Bill and Ted face the music. Oh yes. How is Bill and Ted face the music? So, talking about movie stars and someone that, you know, uh, you talk about uh, Keanu Reeves and uh, River's Edge and, like, how he's actually incredible in that film. And I don't know. I just think that... Um, huh. Bill and Ted Face the Music. What I would say about Bill and Ted Face the Music is that um, it is the cheapest-looking film I've ever seen, right? <laughs> Like, in a cinema, it looked like it was kind of... It looked like... You know when they do, like, um, 
hey, we're doing a Seinfeld reunion for a bank advert. Mm. And, oh, we're doing, like, a Back to the Future reunion for a McDonald's advert. Do you know what I mean? And it's like, they get everyone together and they do it, but it kind of, like, that's what the whole film looked like. It looked really cheap. See, it's weird. Really the original two aren't expensive movies, but you would think this is, like, the the one where it's paying off a lot of that debt, so it's probably going to have a bigger budget than both the others put together. Uh, yeah, you would, I, I just think that no one wanted to make it. Like, no, that's not true. I think that no one wanted to put the money up to make it. And so it's kind of, it's really weird because William Sadler's one of the ex- executive producers. And you go, why is William Sadler executive producing it? It's kind of crazy, right? Uh, William Sadler obviously plays death in Bogus Journey. Um, it's kind of, so it's kind of like, it's, it's, it's sort of, I just don't think anyone wanted to, because they've tried to make it for years and years and years and then they've eventually made it. And all of the scenes are really long. So it makes you feel like, they didn't have loads of shooting days. So they've got, like, these really long scenes, which you go, like, yeah, 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 this seems really long. But what I would say is I loved every single minute of it. Right. And um, you basically just, like, go, oh, I love Keanu Reeves. I also passionately <laughs> love Alex Winter. I think he's incredible. And, um, yeah, I, I, and basically... Uh, it's. It feels like um, I was talking to my friend Rebecca. Me and my friend Rebecca went to see it, and she was basically saying that um, that you get like these latter day sequels, like uh, like oh we'll make another Rambo, and it feels like it's a tack on, like they did, like it's a cash grab. Mm-hmm. This genuinely feels like the third instalment, where okay, they made the first film in like what eighty seven, second film in ninety ninety one. And now it's like 25, oh, fucking 30 years later. And they've made a sequel. It's, a, it's a, a belated sequel. And you think, well, why are they doing it? And um, in a way, they couldn't have made this film 30 years ago. They had to wait for now. And it feels like a... It feels like... It's like getting... It's like getting the opportunity to hang out with two of your best mates again for another two hours, you know? It's like... It's the most um, positive, well-meaning, sweet, earnest film where it's kind of like um, it's just it's just got such a good heart to it, and yeah, you well, just love the, you love those characters so much. That's what the first two are like, and I think that's sort of what's winning about them is that they're like those. That first one, Excellent Adventure, is essentially. When it started off, I don't think anyone would have imagined that was going to do anything more than be like a sort of straight-to-video film, like a kind of Brendan Fraser, uh, that sort of... It's that kind of, like, Encino Man type thing, but it's got a big... Yeah, yeah, yeah. ...such a big part to it that you go, I just like these two, and I'm laughing. But that's what... But that's what those films became. Do you know what I mean? So Bill and Ted came out, and they were like, oh, we're two sort of, like, Californian surfer dudes that are, like, doing this thing... And then what was, uh, and then Wayne's World came out, but I think people like latched onto the wrong bit, mm. and then it became kind of like, oh, it's just poorly sure comedies, and they're all real dumb, and you know. But in actual fact, uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure's got some really fucking clever jokes in it, and they're idiots, but they're lovable. But the film isn't stupid, mm. whereas later on the films were just fucking. 
you know, pathetic. Not the Bill and Ted, but I always preferred Bogus Journey. But um, uh, but like only a bit. I just I think I probably like their haircuts a bit more. You know, <laughs> I just I, but I just think that those two guys together they're they're, they're incredible, and I was really sort of like um, thing is, like you said, Excellent Adventure was not well loved at the time, right? Um, like maybe with kids, but like it was badly. But I remember watching. Maybe it was like movie watch or maybe it was um big breakfast or something like that where maureen Littman had been to see excellent adventure with her niece and they were talking about what they thought about it and maureen Littman was being quite critical of it and you go sure maureen Littman doesn't like bill and ted's excellent adventure it wasn't like and then it became kind of like um beloved but then it wasn't until sort of like Wayne's World came out, where, where when Wayne's World came out, it was just kind of like, but that's, that's yeah. Bill and Ted, right? You've just kind of like nicked their entire act and then you're doing this, right? I, I, when but, Wayne's World came out, I remember seeing posters for it and almost being like, well, I'm not seeing that. That looks like a knockoff of Bill and Ted. <laughs> Looked like, yeah, terrible, right. like a terrible knockoff. I remember when I first saw Wayne's World, this is like nothing happens in the entire fucking film. And then there's a bit when the dog walks in and he goes, what's that? Aliens have attacked? And I go, finally, something's going to happen. And then you go, oh, no. <laughs> no, he's, he's just misunderstood the dog. I love Wayne's World. Hmm. But, um, but at, at the time, I was just kind of like, this is a Bill and Ted knockoff. And then Bogus Journey wasn't kind of like um, that loved. Everyone says, well, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey isn't as good as Excellent Adventure. You go, well, nobody liked Excellent Adventure, so what are you talking about? And then, um, so this film, you know, people are kind of like, going, well, I don't know if this... Is. That's what everyone said about all of the Bill and Ted films. <laughs> So it's it's kind of like going in with as much kind of um, uh, uh, chance as the other two. But I think, it's, uh, yeah, I thought it was I thought it was lovely. I, I loved it. I like I, I thought it was absolutely lovely. And I love Keanu Reeves with all my heart. I've said it many times. I love him with all my heart. And Alex Winter's great. And then um, uh, and then afterwards, I came home and I watched Freaked. Have you seen Freaked? Yes, but a long, long time ago. We were going to see uh, it at the, at the uh, Prince Charles, weren't we? But like just before, we the, I think it was like the week. Just before. Wasn't Alex Winter doing a, a satellite yeah, link? And it all got. We, we had to like kind of. I think it might have been a lockdown thing that never happened. Even it might have been that week. Even. I, I think Freaks is one of the biggest um, uh, unsung heroes in uh, cinematic comedy. I think it is absolutely one of the funniest films ever made. It's so weird and mental. So Alex Winter, uh, Keanu Reeves was an actor, and Alex Winter was uh, sort of like an MTV comedian that would like write and direct his own... I think it was called The Idiot Box, and he wrote and directed his own sort of sketch show. And, um, and then Freaked was basically... When they cast Bill and Ted, they were like, well, get this guy, Keanu Reeves... And then we'll get this guy that's off MTV and we'll put them together and then they'll do the thing. And then when he made Freaked, he basically just called up all of his mates. So William Sadler's in it, Keanu Reeves is in it. And the, he, he made, like, this just absolutely fucking incredible... So, right, I don't, I don't recommend it, I think. But I, I, it's not on Amazon. You can't find it anywhere. But it is on um, YouTube as an entire film. So I just watched it off YouTube, which I feel bad about because... You know who's getting money for that, but basically, yeah, it's it. I couldn't find it anywhere, 
I've got it on DVD somewhere, but um, I couldn't find my DVD. I think I've got it twice on DVD because I couldn't find it once. But um, it's absolutely, I just think, okay, so if you like, I think it's better than any of the Bill and Ted films. Like, not that they're like these, you know, revered classics, but I just think that literally Freaked is so funny and Alex Winter is great in it. And he wrote it and he directed it and he starred in it. He produced it. He got, you know, all of his mates to be in it. And um, it's just this really, really, really funny film. Randy Quaid is incredible in it. Say again? Deep Roy is in it. Uh, Deep Roy is in it. Um, uh, is he? I think he is. I think he's under, I think he's in a costume or something now. I think he's in. Is he, is he the clown that farts people's waist? I'm not sure. I mean, it's fucking, it's <laughs> fucking crazy. Mr. T is in it. Bobcat Goldthwait is in it. I mean, actually, now when you actually start analysing it, it sounds shit. But Max Winter's also uh, in um, Lost Boys as well, though, isn't he? He's he's in that. Yeah. Pre- yeah, but he's he's in Lost Boys. He's in Bill and Ted. He's in Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Then he did uh, Freaked. Then he didn't do anything. Uh, and then he did a documentary about Napster in the early 2000s. And then he was in Grand Piano, the Elijah Wood movie, as some sort of, like, thug, but not, like, like in a sort of featured role, but not really. And you kind of, like, go, what have you been... Like, not in a, not in a critical way, but it's like, what have you been doing? Because it's I just sort of like... He, um, he was... I think he, for a while, was based in the UK, and he was filming adverts. Because I, I think he did... Um, I think he did big... Uh, he might be like, you've been tangoed even. He might be... He might have done that. He's done, like, big, quite famous advertising campaigns in the UK of, for, like, big... Big <laughs> you would know, like, big adverts. Really? Um, I think he did, like... Uh, yeah, I think he did... It might be you've been tangoed. He's, like... He, one of, like, the big, very famous ad campaigns is Alex Winter. So I think he was making lots of money doing music videos and ads. But quite, like, quite oh, memorable ads. I'm not worried about him, right? I haven't been worried about him. But, like, when I watched Grand Piano and then Alex Winter popped up, I was just like, oh, I love that guy. And um, and then when you watch Bill and Ted's Face the Music, it's just kind of like, oh, it's not perfect. Mm. But I think if you're looking at it, analysing it scene by scene, going, wow, this isn't very good, then, I mean, it's technically, it's crap. But in actual fact, it's just so lovely. Oh, I just loved it. I loved it. Alex Winter's got a very nice Twitter feed that makes you think, Oh, that's the thing between him and Keanu Reeves. They're two really nice blokes. When you see when you see him on screen together, you just go, oh, I've missed these two. Um, right, anyway, so a uh, quick little bit of fan mail and then we'll do, uh, then we'll get our guest on. Right. Hi, Nick and Nat. Oh, hang on. Brian Johnson's arrived. I can't do the voice. I can't do the voice. I can't do the voice. Hi, Nick and Nat. I love your show. I recently got tired of re-watching old films. I mean, the good old six are great, but I think I need to watch something new. Any suggestions on the latest releases? Thanks, Holly. Ah, uh, don't... Bill and Ted. was. Bill and Ted. I was concentrating on the voice, and I didn't actually listen to what I was saying. Dear Nick and Nat, how are you doing, boys? A friend of mine has recently watched Tenet, and she has loved it. I'm a bit sceptical. Have you watched it? Would you recommend it? Cheers, Nathan. Um, I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it. Hello, yet. you lovely 
I recently thought about going back to the cinema, but I'm not sure if it is safe or not. I heard that you recently spoke about cinemas in one of your latest episodes. What are your thoughts? Thank you. I went to the cinema. I think it's... I think it... I mean, you wear a mask the whole time, and you're fucking... No one else wants to go to the cinema, so you're miles away from everyone. And to be honest, if you don't start going back to the cinema... If you're... If you're worried about it, look it up and see a screen. See if it's like... If if you're going to see something during the day, you're, you're more likely to be quiet. If you're worried, you can do it baby steps, if you like. I mean, I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not an expert whether you should have. But at most, you could have 40 or 50% capacity in a screen. Uh, and if you're, sending, if you're sending your kids to school, you can go to the fucking cinema. And if you don't go to the cinema, all the cinemas will close down. And so I think there has to be a certain point where you just, like, go, if cinemas are open and it's done... Uh, correctly, then it's fine. I sat with a mask on and I watched a film and I was, like, except for my mate Rebecca, there, were, there was no one around us for, like, 30 feet. Hmm. Do you know what I mean? It wasn't, like, we weren't, it wasn't rammed in. So it's just kind of, like, I think that, yeah, it's just, um, I think, I think, I think it was, I've been to the cinema twice and both times I didn't feel scared or, or worried about it. I think pick your time as well. If you if you're worried, you can probably look up and see who sat next to you. You can probably ask to be sat miles away from anyone if you want to be. Yeah, and they do. And literally, they're selling every other seat, so it's not like you're not you're not getting like sat next to other people. Um, yeah, I do. Yeah, but what I have, I've really I've really missed going to the cinema. So this is kind of. Um, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's been great. Right, we got to play. We'll, we'll save the rest for Wednesday. Uh, we'll save the rest for the next show, and uh, we'll play a song now, and then we'll get our guest on. Right. Thank you for the day. Those endless days are sacred days you gave me. Nick Helm and Nathaniel Metcalf's fan club on Bar Radio. We are back. We're back in uh, the, uh, the studio. We're not in the studio. Uh, I'm in my, my living room. Nat is, I don't know what, Nat's in his laundry room. And uh, we're joined now uh, by uh, comedian, actor, uh, writer, presenter, Matt O'Kine. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm in my uh, office. I say it's an office. It's actually just a shell of a room. It has um, some pictures of my hometown in it, um, an old guitar of my sister's, and um, a whole bunch of copies of a book that I wrote because uh, I guess no one's buying it. Hey, well, what is that? Let's talk about the book. Oh, well, okay, look, no. I mean, people are buying it. I just bought a whole bunch of copies to sell as merch for um, my stand-up tour, which, of course, didn't happen because of COVID. So I, I just have a bunch of this book sitting around. Um, but I'm also turning it into a movie, so that's why that one's sitting right next to my, um, my computer. You so can play the long game, and hopefully it might become a rare book that you could then uh, charge lots of people for it. If you have all the copies... You can try and up the on, on Amazon Marketplace. You can try and increase the demand so that each one goes for about three hundred pounds or something, and try and pass it off that way. Do you know what I mean? Like the 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 weird, the worst thing is when you start reading kids' books because I've got a daughter and she is eighteen months old, and I I get these books that are you know from all over the world, 
And I know how many books I've sold of a book that I took two, thousand, two years to work on and write. And, you know, and then I see a book where it's like, don't let the pigeon drive the bus. And it's like two trillion copies sold worldwide. <laughs> and you're like, why? Honestly, why do I bother? Why am I wasting my time? I quite like the sound of why did the pigeon drive the bus? I'm quite, uh, that might should be your next book, perhaps. <laughs> I, I want to know. It's a mystery. Why did it? Why did it start? Right now? I, well, no, it's it's uh, you're not supposed to let the pigeon drive the bus, and you're so the whole thing, the the very beginning of the book, it's actually quite riveting. The bus driver says, "Don't let the pigeon drive the bus," and then he's like, "I'm going away now," and then he walks off, and then oh, you turn no. the page, and a pigeon walks in and is like, "Hey, can I drive the bus?" And your kid is like, and you say, "Are we going to let the pigeon drive the bus?" And your daughter goes. Yes. And you go, no, the driver has literally just said, don't do that. And so uh, that's the whole premise of the book. We, sh- we should have put a spoiler warning there. <laughs> we've, we've literally just been talking about reading and discovering it for yourself. And you've kind of like ruined the entire book now. Uh, Sorry. That's a shame. Sorry. That's a shame. Yeah. Never mind. Never mind. Um, so you're, you're adapting your book into a film. Yeah, trying to. I mean, that's a long process um, and it's not necessarily a fun process. It's also not, you know, I don't like writing um, and I'm sure you guys are, well, actually, I'm not sure that you guys are the same, but for me, uh, in terms of doing stand-up, writing, TV shows, films, books, anything, I just, I hate it. It doesn't make me happy. Um, I don't enjoy doing it. What I love is having written something Um, and it's like, I, I, I I liken it to, um, to cleaning a room, you know, like I hate cleaning a room, but I love being in a clean room. So it's just that work. I like the moment that you get the job and then I like the moment that it's finished and everything in between is awful. (laughs) It's the worst. And I mean... And I'm very thankful. Don't get me wrong. Like I am extremely thankful of of writing this book, right? My partner was pregnant at the time and because she had, she was, she didn't have a, like a fun pregnancy. I don't don't know whether many people do have a fun pregnancy really. I just don't know personally, (laughs) Um, but she did not enjoy it. And you know, and one of the big things is just not being able to live the life like that you can normally leave and we, we lead and we love eating and drinking and that's, you know, we love going out and hospitality and all that sort of stuff. So I'd, I, I'd uh, stopped drinking for two months in the lead up to the birth. And I, um, I didn't have like a, a, well, I was working, I was developing a TV show at the same time. We were going into pre-production of this TV show. I was doing it at the same time. So I was finishing the book and we were, and I was finishing up the stage of the TV show and my partner was pregnant. So all these three things were kind of all leading up to this big, huge, you know, thing in my life. And I would go to the local pool every day and it was like still really warm. And so I'd lie by the pool and I wasn't drinking. So I would just be, writing this book and I lost heaps of weight. Right. And I was going to the gym every day. So I looked the best I've ever looked and I felt the best I'd ever looked. And I was lying by the, literally lying by the pool in the afternoons, writing for a bit, then diving into this pool and then getting out and writing a bit more, then diving in, writing, expecting, you know, waiting for my child to uh, arrive in the world, still fucking hated it. 
all right? Still hated writing. It was the worst still. And I was doing it by a pool, looking ripped and feeling great. So I don't know. Sure. I don't know what you have to do to enjoy writing, but I, maybe it's just not for me. Yeah, that I, reminds me of like in the sixties and things. You'd often have these sort of when there seems to be just a lot more money floating around and people going, "Oh, well, I need to write this script." So what I'm going to do is go to St. Lucia for a month. Right? <laughs> I and know. Going, how much money? How much money have you made to do this script? That's like when people talk about doing ad, ad, um, advertisements in the nineties. And they're like, yeah, it was just a 30-second ad and they were getting paid like $200,000 and stuff. And it's like, now you've got to do, you've got to be on, you, it's like, we're going to use it for 5,000 Instagram stories and it's going to be on TV for 16 years and we'll send you a free pair of sunglasses and that's it. And you're like, oh, cool, thanks, guys. Yep. I remember, I remember when Brian Adams wrote the album 18 Till I Die and he recorded it in Jamaica and I thought well it's going to obviously be very kind of like Jamaican sounding this song <laughs> this this album uh, not one kind of influence in it is, uh, at all it just went for the weather I think that, that's um, the biggest con of the music industry all these people they're like yeah I went over to LA and recorded my album over there and stuff and it's like why you there is a microphone in Sydney dude you don't it's a microphone have on your monitor. Just do it on Zoom. <laughs> you can see the whole world from your fucking armchair. Don't fucking don't fucking bother travelling. Um, but just just to just to highlight, eighteen till I die is an incredible album. So uh, there we go. Um, you write music, don't you? Occasionally, I was doing some stuff just then while I was waiting for you guys. I uh, I mean, I I don't write music really well. I write music. I, I enjoy doing it. I guess it's like a lot of things that I do, you know. I just I just do them because I enjoy doing it. I'm not really too fussed about it. Um, it being judged too poorly or um, you know, people being too critical of it. It's like something is better than nothing. So I I just keep making things. Yeah, I do find. I mean, um, I'm so I'm writing an album at the moment and I'm really struggling with uh, lyrics for like the first time and I'd written this amazing song it's the best song I've ever written and I played it to uh, this uh, I, I was in a sitcom uh, with this kid and he's like uh, he's, he's a genius he can play every instrument he's really clever he's, he's brilliant and I played him this song and it's my proudest song and uh, and he said, "Yeah, it's the same chords you always use, though, isn't it?" And I'm just like, "Oh fuck you!" <laughs> fuck. Well, um, <laughs> I made it. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm not writing it for for musos. I'm literally. <laughs> I, I think it sounds good, um, but the way I the way I write stuff is I'll sing it in my head and then I'll record it and then it just turns out it's the same three chords that I always use. But, um, That's so funny. I, mean, uh, I, I wrote a I wrote a kids album with a friend, and we just released it. Actually, it's called Diver City, which is the name of the uh, act. And um, me and a, a girl called KLP, who um, I don't know, has a song that may be over there at the moment, kind of blowing up. It's called Energy. It's with a guy called Stace Cadet. Anyways, if you're into the dance uh, dancing, you might have heard of it. Um, and we we've got this duo called Diver City and it's a kids album and I played that for my 18 month old daughter and you know finished the album we've spent a couple of months doing it 
thousands of dollars mastering, mixing, all that sort of stuff. Finally get it ready, press play for my daughter. Literally, it barely the first beat has been heard and she just looks at me and goes, no, that's it, no. And, and I'm like, what? You don't even, and she goes, no, no, Emma, Emma. And all she wants is Emma Wiggle, right? That's who, that's who Emma is. And so it, 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 just, it breaks your heart. You're like, how can you hate this already? And what are, what are all the other kids in the world going to think? And almost like, how can you see through everything? How, can you, like, how do you know it's bad? I did. Have you, done, have you done the comedy for kids thing? Oh, yeah, yeah. I've I, I tried it. I don't think it's for me. I think people... Oh, my God. I'm not. I did it at the Melbourne Comedy Festival and they're like, and they're like, they hooked me up for four days of it. And I'm like, yeah, okay, I'll do some wacky stuff. This is well before I had kids and I, and I get out there and, and I crumbled, man. I've never, I've not fallen apart on stage more pathetically in my life. I was like a block of feta. I just, everything I said, I'd be like, so I was at the shops the other day and, and like a kid would go, no, you weren't. And, I, and I'm like, fuck. No, I wasn't. I wasn't. <laughs> I just crumble like, on stage. Like, I always think of them as like, it's basically a room of about 200 like Henry VIII's who are just like, no, yes. <laughs> this. Yeah. And you go, oh, I don't know. What the? What do you want? Oh, you're so pulled in every direction. I hate it. And I, 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 yeah. It's too stressful. Yeah, it's pretty bad. And also, I mean, I guess kids just do that in general. I don't want to, like, you know, I don't want this combo to go down the kids' road, but yeah, that's... They are just brutal. They're just constantly just saying, no, no, nah, I don't like you. I don't like this. I don't want this. You cook them a meal and they're just like, yuck. And they won't just be like, they won't just go, oh, no, thank you. It's not for me. They'll literally just go, yuck. And then just thrust it off their table. It's just the biggest insult. And this is your like number one go-to fried rice, you know, that you've been mastering over the years. Anyways. So where are you talking to us from today, Matt? So I'm in Sydney and uh, it's pretty, it's just starting to get warm. I think I've said goodbye to the jumpers for the last, uh, for this year. And which kind of sucks because I've been, um, I've been wiping my nose on my t-shirt a lot recently <laughs> um, to avoid touching with my face with my hand. So I'll just be going for like the inside t-shirt and um I mean, that's, it's revolting. Right You're going to have a whole sleeve. <laughs> but no, I don't have the long sleeve. That's a thing. So, like, I've only got the T-shirt, and I don't know where I'm supposed oh, yeah, to, like, wipe my, my nose and face. Uh, I'm thinking that exactly exactly Here's a tip, Matt. Don't wipe your nose on your fucking clothes. Jesus <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Hell. You say that, right? But then if I just... I mean, what am I going to use? A hanky? Okay, yuck. Or a tissue. Okay, tissues, fair enough. But... What do you mean tissues, fair enough? That's what they're there for. (laughs) (laughs) But not all the time. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, I don't don't always have tissues on hand. And and I don't want to... Because of the COVID thing, although I guess a tissue in the pocket is probably still more hygienic than, like my shirt sleeve anyways look i'm, I'm revolting what, what are you gonna do i forget because you, we're, we're, right. if anything <laughs> if anything we're just entering jumper weather we can probably yeah. start wiping our, our, <laughs> on our it's the complete opposite 
of you guys. Yeah. So I'm in Sydney um, and it's good, man. I mean, I love Sydney. Sydney's, uh, I still reckon Sydney's one of the best, uh, best cities in the world. It's, um, it's opening up. Everything's good. Everything's good. You're opening up now. And so you've been, you've had lockdown. What's been the situation there? You've had a kind of. Yeah. I mean, it's been, it's been fine. Melbourne's in like full on lockdown and I'm doing a radio show with people in Melbourne and it's hard. Like it's real hard because I'm in Sydney and everyone's like, and like, you, you know, you, like we do this show every single morning and every day it's like, Hey, how's everyone going? And they're like, we're not going, man. It sucks. Okay. <laughs> we cannot leave the house. There's a curfew right now. And I'm like, Oh yeah. I mean, I was at the beach on the weekend, but yeah, it wasn't fun. I so so it's completely different from Melbourne then. You can do more. Completely than- different. Melbourne wow. is like, Melbourne's on this whack crusade at the moment to, to like, um, eliminate. They had a wild, like, uh, spikes and stuff, whereas Sydney has been kind of just fine. We were in Fiji. My partner and I um, were in Fiji when it all went down, and then, um, and then we, got, we got, did the, had to do two weeks of quarantine, proper quarantine, you know, with a one-year-old, which sucked. But, um, but we put some fake grass on the balcony and, and bought a inflatable pool from, uh, online. And, um, so yeah, we had a little tropical, very cold water, shallow paradise for a while. Wow. I imagine are people from um, Sydney or people from Melbourne just wanting to try and move to Sydney now. There's heaps of that, man. People are going to Brisbane because I mean, the, the weirdest thing as well is that like some parts of Australia, it's literally like it does not exist at all. Like in Darwin, they haven't had like, I don't mean like there's like only a few cases a day. I mean like they haven't had a single case for months, right? Like they, no one even remotely thinks about it. There's like people going to like mass sporting events and parties and nightclubs and stuff. And then people in lockdown, only one person per household are allowed to go to the shops and you have to be inside your house after 8 p.m. kind of thing. Wow. So it's, it's, it's a completely a, a country of two, like in so many different sides at the moment. And because... Go on. At least, you've got like, at least you've got like rules that are easy to follow. Because we're like the Wild West. It's just like anything you want, really. But don't do that. <laughs> and you're like, what? What am I meant to be doing? I don't even know if we're in lockdown at the moment. I just I don't know want so many be- people, so many of my friends in the UK seem to have gotten it and just are like, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty positive I got it. And now we're back and it's all good. Yeah, I think so- I have it. <laughs> I'm pretty sure so- I haven't got it and I don't want it. Um- yeah. <laughs> Anyways, I mean, I, I'm always, I, it worries me only because you know, it's like um, with HIV, you you like people get it and then like they have like really bad flu symptoms and then like it goes and then nothing happens. And then like five years later, your immune system completely breaks down and, and it's completely awful. Mm-hmm. And so I, I'm like, oh, I just, I just don't know yet whether this is that or whether it's nothing. And so yeah. I just don't know. Yeah, you know, yeah, but no idea what the long-term effects on it are yet, because no one knows. <laughs> no, but Nick, you what? What were you going to say? Well, I was just like saying that. I mean, you're saying that you don't know, but like no one, no one knows. So don't, don't carry that burden on your shoulders. It's not. 
not your specific job to work out COVID. <laughs> no, that's true. That's true. And maybe be a bit um, easier on yourself. So you're saying you've got your boxes of books and that was for a tour that never happened. Has that been rescheduled? And what was the tour going to be? Um, it was a stand-up tour. It was going to be just through all the Australian festivals. Um, it's kind of a disappointing. I felt like I had a, I felt like I had a really good show this year, as everyone who probably got their tours cancelled thinks. But um, no, this is definitely going to be. Uh, I reckon I had the Barry with this one. I reckon I had the uh, the, the top dog in Melbourne. <laughs> but um, oh man, I don't really care. I don't miss it at all. I don't miss stand up as much. You don't miss stand up. Nah, not really. I mean, I've been doing it since 20, 2004. I I love stand up, but I'm not. I don't. I'm not going to miss it because I'm not doing it for a year. And I've I've gone into more development of TV shows and um and finishing an EP. I'm making like it's kind of it's been a massive blessing in disguise, actually. I mean, you know what it's like with stand up. You just kind of the gigs just keep rolling in. You just keep sort of. I've still got that massive freelance anxiety kind of vibes where you just, it's like you're that, that, that part of you is still terrified that you're never going to work again. So you, you just constantly saying yes, even when you're like, you're not, you're not the shittest. The most annoying thing about stand up is no matter how much the gig is worth. Okay. Whether it's worth $200 or whether it's worth $10,000 or whatever you go, as soon as you get the email going, Hey, do you want to do this in somewhere two hours away on Saturday night for however much? If you're free on Saturday night, you're like, well, no, I don't want to do it because I was going to have a Saturday night off. But now me not working on Saturday is going to cost me $1,000 or $10,000 or $200 or whatever you've just offered me. I know that when I'm sitting in my house, I'm like, it's literally cost me hundreds or thousands of dollars right now to sit here yes. in this house. Yes, but I would pay $10,000 to not do that on a Saturday. <laughs> and I think that that is, that's the, I get like an email saying, hey, do you want to do a gig in two months' time? And I'm like, yeah, of course, two months' time. I'll have written some material by then. I'll be match fit. I'll be incredible. And then two months later, you go, oh, fuck, I've got to do that fucking gig that I didn't want to fucking do in the fucking first place. You know, I had a gig like the other Friday. I literally, it was like, I, I had a, a half-hour meltdown on stage because uh, everyone was socially distanced. There wasn't enough, like, uh, energy in the room to keep anything rolling. And you go, I've got one bit. I've got one bit that I'm going to drag out for half an hour. It was fucking awful. And I've got to do another fucking gig in another two months' time. I don't want to do, I don't, I don't want to, I, I've painted myself into a corner. This is all I've got, right? I've got to find another skill. <laughs> and maybe I'll, maybe I'll write a book. Yeah, write a book. Mate, <laughs> sit by the pool. No one bothers you. It's great. The pay is awful, but you get ripped. You look good. It's, it's really, it's, trust me, I, I can vouch but, for it. But you went to the gym every day. I mean, when I say I go to the gym, I don't go to the gym like most people go to the gym. I do five minutes on a one of those, you know, swingy machines where your arms swing and your legs swing, but nothing touches the ground. Cross trainer, cross trainer. Yeah, yeah, one of those. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So many that's great. That is, that's, and that's then, 
five minutes on those. I do a bit of bench press and then I do like two other machines. And then I literally lie in the corner on a mat and every five minutes or so I do about 10 crunches and I look at my phone and that was me going to the gym and I, that would take about 45 minutes of my day. So, and that's all out the window now because uh, sure. yeah, gyms are not the place for me at the moment. I've, but I've, um, got gym, I've got a gym in my building. So if I want to go to the gym, I go downstairs and I go into the gym, which is great because it's near, but it's also awful because you're working out in front of your neighbours. So we're all in a building together. If you have a real, if you're sh- like, I am, I'm a fucking pig. I'm just like, literally, I'm sweating. I'm out of breath. I'm disgusting. And there's all my neighbours looking at me, just like on a fucking mat, just like sprawled out in the middle of the gym. And then you've got to fucking bump into them in the fucking lobby every day. And just like, That's hello, it. And pretend it never happened. Pretend it never happened. <laughs> it's, right? the, it's the bumping into people in the lift when they're like going to or from work and you're just sweating like a hog, just like so like panting at them and you have to share the lift in the same, you know, facility, isn't it? Wiping your nose on your t-shirt. It's fucking <laughs> it's brutal. It's absolutely brutal. I love, I love, I love going to the gym though. Does that, do you think that helps you kind of like, um, it does. Uh, it does. It helps me heaps. I mean, I feel like I've only got three modes in that I'm either um, going to the gym and like swimming, which was a big thing. I really love doing that in the mornings. Um, and then I'm working or I'm drinking and eating, you know, that's basically it. So it's like, I just, it's this, I don't really, I don't really know that I do anything else other than that. I can't think of anything, you know, <laughs> I don't know what else. You spent some time in the UK, right? What's that? You spent some time in the UK, right? You were at the Edinburgh Festival 2013. Yeah, I was at the Edinburgh Festival 2013. I was just, I was looking up some stuff about you, Nathaniel. That was your first year as well. And I, uh, I got nominated for Best Newcomer that year. And I, I, you know, I mean, you're annoyed. I, mean, I, don't, I don't want you to be annoyed with me for... Uh, well, I don't know. You, you come over here. And you've, uh, I mean, that could have been mine. That could have been my nomination if you weren't there. It could, I could have. I know, I know. It's always a bit, I always feel a little bit uh, guilty about the Australian, um, I mean, proud at the same time, but always also a little bit like, oh, it'd be annoying for, for people from the UK to see that. Well, um, no, but I yeah. That, I, I, no, I was going to say, it is that thing, isn't it, I suppose, that I guess in Australia you often have that, run up because you have melbourne right before it so by the time you get to edinburgh often the australian acts will have shows that are kind of very well established and you i mean essentially what they do is they come they come here they stroll in the fact the fact they've had already had a month where they've been running this show in so it's it's pretty good by the time they get to edinburgh and it's pretty red hot but then we get the opposite when all you guys have been doing your edinburgh shows and then you come to melbourne and you're all bang hot and you've been brought over by the festival and it's, and it's a freaking holiday for you guys you know well, i would argue but what chance have i got of coming to melbourne when i can't even get a nomination because there's australian acts coming <laughs> over here. their shows have been working on for, for years yeah. i would just like to just like to just like to point out that in 2013 i got nominated for the best show right. i know i know we did a we did a showcase uh together nick at the very end um of the festival 
congratulations on your nomination. Yeah. Thanks, I, thanks. I got I got asked to do a showcase because uh, someone else, one of one of the other nominees for the best show, couldn't do it for some reason. So they uh, they chucked me on there. But um, it was a good festival. I mean, I tell you what, that killed me. That festival. I haven't been back since. It really it destroyed my head. I I broke. Why? Oh, I just got super depressed. I just really got sad over there. Like. It was just one of those things as well. Like I, um, uh, like I feel like when that there's that many people from all over the world congregating on in like a place, I just got the meanest like super flu, like that just rivaled COVID to the floor. Like I was, I was just knocked around, and then doing all these gigs, and I don't know. I think I was just trying to chase something. Like I really wanted that nomination as well, and then I got it. And it was that classic moment where you're like, oh, I'm still the same shitty person. <laughs> That's still, it literally does not mean anything. It's, a, it's always like such a mad month. And it, the, the worst thing is that it feels like it's punishing every year you do it. And then, but then when it's not, when I'm not there, I go, oh, I wish I was there. And it's yeah, all, I know, yeah. when I'm there, it's so stressful. I went to... I think- um, I went to a pharmacist there and I had a little bit of eczema last time I went on my arm and, um, and, uh, and I went, oh, I've got a bit of eczema. So I went to the pharmacy and said, oh, can I get some hydrocortisone cream for a bit of eczema? And she said, oh yeah, by the way, you, um, you can't put this on your face. And I said, well, that's fine. It's just from my arm. I just, I get it when I'm a bit stressed. And she said, uh, are you stressed? And I was like, no, I'm fine. I just got a bit of eczema on my arm. And it's like, but I can see it on your neck and think it's like, oh God. <laughs> and then you almost want to cry because someone's like saying, are you all right? I've just been here for a month or something and I don't know when I'm going home and I don't know what, what I, I don't know who I am anymore. <laughs> you know what I missed it. about it? But you know what I missed about it, Edinburgh is that like getting sushi was real difficult. Like I would finish my show at six o'clock and um, oh, seven o'clock or whatever. And I just want to have dinner and all the foods I'm used to, like, I don't know, sushi and Thai and all this Asian food. It was just like impossible to get. And, because, and I'd be like, why is there no sushi around here? And people would be like, why the fuck would anyone be wanting to eat cold, wet fish right now? And I just, I, 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 I felt like that. I needed that, you know? But I made all the classic mistakes. I burned out way too hard. I went too hard too early. I lost my voice. You know, I could barely get through shows. I felt self-conscious. You know, I was competing with other people. I saw them getting sold out stickers. I was getting three-star, two-star reviews at the beginning. It was all that sort of stuff. I was just just beating myself up, stupidity, you know? Yeah. But, like, I, I did my first Edinburgh in 1997. Uh, and then, and I think that you just learn that you just put blinkers on and then you don't look at what anyone else is doing. You just concentrate on your show. Uh, I don't even go and see other people's shows really, unless I really like them. And, uh, and then I just try and focus on one hour of doing uh, my show and then drinking. And then that's it. <laughs> then that's the month. One hour of the show, there. eight hours of drinking, then it's all good. Well, I had to fly her still, you know, so that was, that's not fun. I had to go, I went from selling out every show in Australia, not having to worry a single bit 
to doing eight people in fucking Edinburgh, man. That was that was tough. What, what venue? What venue were you in? I was at uh, Underbelly. I was in a hundred and twenty seater in the um, in the uh, in the uni somewhere. But um, John Lloyd was before me, and he's like he never like he was just doing a show. And um, John Lloyd he, he created Blackadder QI. Anyways, sold out. Absolutely reamed every night. Like people were just flowing out of the place. And then my eight people would be in there. Yeah. What's worse is it's eight people in a 120-seater, but probably still boiling from the 120 people <laughs> back into it before. So everyone's probably just still pouring with sweat looking around like, why is, what is wrong with this room? There's these droplets of other people's sweat are just kind of like almost vapour smoke that's this... Uh, uh, I'm glad we've had this conversation. I don't feel like I've missed out at all anymore. Yeah, I'm just, exactly. I'm just thinking that now. Thank God it got fucking cancelled this year because <laughs> you feel like you feel like you're getting ill in Edinburgh just on a normal year. And imagine yeah, if there was fucking and... a pandemic. Fuck me, <laughs> Jesus And it could have it could have started, and then it, this could have kicked off, and that would have just that would have changed. That would have been the worst. You know what I mean? You can't, you can't, you wouldn't utter a single titter out of your mouth if you were looking around a 120 seater in a sweaty box, just knowing that just one cough, the sound of one cough, you'd go, <laughs> nah, I can't, I'm out. It's horrible. It is that thing, yeah. Everyone from around the world, they're all going to like pack themselves into a tiny room with no ventilation. I mean, yeah. it wouldn't surprise me if, uh, if the COVID actually even started at last week. <laughs> <laughs> Like people talk about Everyone's blaming the bat. Everyone's a blaming a bat in Wuhan. Mate, yeah. have you been to the <laughs> sweat box in Edinburgh? <laughs> <laughs> if it started anywhere, it started in that Petri dish. But Edinburgh is sort of like built on like tombs and stuff like that. So it's like a, it's like a city underneath a city. And then when you go into any of those venues and it's kind of like it's been carved out of the side of a rock... You kind of like all of the walls are dripping plague sweat where you just think... The- I know. It's like walls should not be crying. That's a sign to just, that things yeah. are not right when the, when the building is crying. Yeah. You're probably under a tomb where there's like some sort of weird juice of a dead body hitting you <laughs> or something. <laughs> that's, that's all I ever think about when I'm in Edinburgh. <laughs> body, body, body juice. Um, can I just can I ask you a question? Um, can I ask you a question? Uh, it says here, right? One of your favourite films is State and Maine. Yeah. As in the Warren Beatty film. Um, David Mamet. Which one's State and Maine? State and Maine is a David Mamet film and it is not amazing. What film am I In, thinking of? I have With no Beatty. idea. Warren Beatty, Gary Shandling, Goldie Horn. What film's that? Is that I Town and Country? I, maybe I that's no Town idea. and Country. Okay, maybe. Do you know what, you know what State and Maine is? Look, State and Maine is not an amazing film by any, by any stretch of the imagination. I like State and Maine because it's about making a film. And when I was 18 or 21, 
I watched it over and over again because it gave me an insight into the politics of what filmmaking looks like, not in a fantastical way where magic happens on the screen and everything. It's literally just like they're trying to film in a small town and they just have to argue with everyone to get their way. And I kind of was intrigued by that. And because I was studying acting at the time, I, um, I just watched it and I would, and I would watch it whenever I got home, I'd just press play and keep watching from wherever I'd left it. And then I'd where when I had to leave, I'd just press pause and then I'd go and do my thing and I'd come home and I'd just press play again and watch it. And then I get to the end and I'd just start it from the beginning again. And I, I have no idea what was, I don't know why I got so attached to that film, but the biggest one I remember is, um, I got arrested in, um, in the, in the city one night in Brisbane and I, and it was just a dumb altercation. I, I had, um, oh, what had happened? I, uh, like I'd been asked to leave this pub and then I wouldn't leave because a, a friend of mine had been told, okay, this is, this is, this is what happened. And it's so stupid, but a friend got told to leave. So I said, well, why don't you just let him drink some water? And then the bouncer said, well, if you, well, how about you get out then? And I was like, but I didn't do anything. You're asking him to leave. And I'm telling you that he should drink some water. And then the bouncer's like, that's it, you're going. And then so he grabbed me and I was like, what the fuck? And then my friend punched the bouncer and then the bouncer punched me. And then we all just got into this big fight until I got choked out and passed out on the in the middle of the like dance floor. That's weird. It's like right? everything, you, everything your mate's doing, you're getting the punishment. <laughs> I'm getting the exact punishment for everything that he should be. Yeah. It was so, it was so bizarre. Anyway, I'm getting, so I get choked out and I, and like, I remember just having this weird dream about being in the yellow submarine with the Beatles and like we we're flying through the, through the sky and then I was getting tapped on my face and I woke up and I was like, oh, fuck. And like, it was, a, it was a manager of the club. And I was like, oh man, I don't really know where I am. And he's like, just get the fuck out, get out. And I was like, yeah, cool. No worries. Like, I'm out of here. So I go to leave and I'm standing on the doors, like on the, on the footpath outside the club. And then the bouncer runs out of the club and tackles me to the ground and says he's performing a citizen's arrest on me. Right now, it's bizarre because I've never, like, I've never heard of anyone actually performing a citizen's arrest. But anyway, so he's like ripping my arms behind my back, and he, and and I couldn't breathe at this point. And then so I passed out on the um, on the footpath, and then I woke up to the police kind of there going like, hey, 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 get up! Like I remember them being like, we might need to call an ambulance, all this sort of stuff. And they're like, get up, get up. And so <clears throat> I got arrested and we went back to the police station <clears throat> and I kept saying like, you know, I was trying to explain to them what happened. And uh, they were like, they were, I said like, you should ask them for the CCTV footage because it'll show everything that's happened. Anyway, they asked the club for the CCTV footage and miraculously the club was not um, recording that night. And so I got fined for failing to leave a premises when requested. And I remember going home and walking through the door and my, and my dad was like, what's going on? And then I just burst into tears and I was like, they fucking arrested me. 
And then I sat down in the dark in our lounge room and I pressed play and I just watched the end of State in Maine. And I remember it just <laughs> sticks with me, this film, you know, because I was like sitting there, like tears rolling down my face, being like, oh, I can't believe it, I got arrested. But then I was watching, you know, them just, just, just this weird movie about film production in a watching small town. State in Maine on a video, pausing it, going through all that, watching the second half of it. Do you think that's how David Mamet intended you to watch the film? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So what yeah. actually happened? Why, why was, <laughs> what was the bouncer then going up? See, it feels like something happened while you were passed out that made the bouncer suddenly still be... I, I don't know. I think he was just angry. You think he was just angry. I mean, the, it was just one of those messy kind of, like, drunken fight things that just happened and people were kind of just pushing everyone around each other and, like, yeah, it was just dumb. So dumb. <laughs> but yeah, that's a, that's that that is the thing that I remember when I think of that movie. I loved it all the way up until that point. And then after all that happened and I watched it and I watched the end until the end. And I think that was probably the last time I watched it. Not because it I don't know, it was just like, oh well, that's the end of that chapter for me. How does it measure up now? Having a thing that you thought was like, this feels like proper filmmaking. Have you so I guess you haven't watched it since you've been kind of No, I haven't, but I reckon it's pretty bang on. I mean, it really is it, it, filmmaking is just one of those, you know, it's just again, it's just frustrating. It's there's just it's just haggling and it's you're selling things and uh, you know, it's it's it seems more glamorous on the outside, but really you're always just trying to sell stuff. Hey, you Everything. wanna buy this idea? Got an idea for you, champ. <laughs> That's sort of what I like about it because, um, because when you're on the outside of it, you feel like it's like this magical, uh, uh, unobtainable thing. And then when you actually do it, you realise it's literally, oh, it's, you're literally just problem solving from beginning to end until you've yeah. got a thing. And it's, and, it's, and it's not glamorous and it's not any of those things, but, it, but, but what it is is it's literally lots of tiny little jobs that you have to do in a row and then you've got end up with the product and i like that about it i like the fact that as soon as you get through the door it's not this unobtainable thing it's something that is actually quite logical and you just like go or maybe it's not logical but it's kind of like you're, you're literally okay if you can put up with the bullshit then you can get something done Absolutely. But then I, I find that it's a gift and a curse now to understand that process and that set of systems, because, you know, when you, when you're outside you're like, Oh, wouldn't it be incredible to turn an idea into something that people can watch. But when now that I exist in that world and I understand the systems that are in place, and in fact, it's part of my skill set to do that. I it, it's, it's the worst because now I can't have, I can't just have an idea anymore. I can't just have a daydream. I have to, I'll come up with like, I'll be like, oh man, that'd be a cool movie. And back in the day, I'd be like, oh, wouldn't it be amazing? And you think out this whole movie and then you just go back to the, you know, your day. Whereas now I come up with a good idea and I'm like, oh shit, I'm gonna have to try and make that. <laughs> you know, because what else am I going to do now? I'm just wasting my time, I'm wasting my my career if I don't act on this idea anymore. So it's, it's a little bit frustrating in that capacity. That's true. That is, that is quite a good thing to be frustrated about though. Yeah. I mean, it's not a bad thing, but it's also, it's probably, it's probably, you know, um, I would say that like, I, I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily have a, I don't, I don't think I'm a, 
problem drinker, but I drink too much or drink more than probably what was, would be uh, what I'd like to. And I think half of that is that whole like, well, at least if I'm drinking, I don't have to, I'm not obliged to work on whatever the thought is in my head. Yeah, you're you're off the clock, and you go right yeah, today. Exactly. But like, do you find that being uh, you know writing TV and doing stand up and then doing music and writing a book and writing a film, do you find like having lots of different things in your life that you can do? If you ever get bored of like one thing, you can kind of like focus on another thing. Do you find that quite like liberating? Yeah, I mean, it just works for my process because I can't ever really think of anything more than in short bursts. So I'll have this grand idea for a show and I can probably focus on it for maybe 20 minutes in my head while I'm sort of just thinking about it. And it's just a matter of getting all the stuff that I've thought of in that 20 minutes out onto, into a notepad. And then, and then I'll, then I can let it go. And then something else will come up into my head. And then that might just be something funny that I want to talk about on the radio. And so then I'll put that into my notepads on the, you know, in the radio tab and then it'll be a song idea where I'll be with my daughter and I'll think of a song idea. And so I'll think about how that works. So it's all, it's all just really short bursts, but I, I'm not very good at just thinking about something on an extended period for four hours in a day. Right. Uh, and I mean, I, I like doing all of it. That's the thing. I just like coming up with ideas and turning them into things. That's what I just, that's what I do. So, um, I, what I find what I find fascinating is how like how different everyone's process is from everyone else's, and like when, you, when we talk about like uh, hating to write, I hate writing. I love I love being creative. I hate sitting down and writing, and um, and so when I do stand up, I'll write a note on my hand, and I will get up in front of however many people with nothing other than a note on my hand, and I'll write on stage. And you just think that's mental, right? Isn't that mental to go back in the day? It would have been the craziest thing to like, I mean, when you, when you're starting out, you could never imagine doing anything like that, but that's because it's silence is terrifying. You know, when you're starting out, the scariest thing in the world is silence or, or in the scariest thing in the world is people not thinking you're funny. Whereas you got to a stage, I mean, you're at a stage now where you're like, I have many awards and nominations and ticket sales to let, I know, (laughs) <laughs> that I'm funny. I don't need there. this yeah. crowd to tell me, you know. So, so then you can afford to do that. No, I still need a crowd to tell me. I have to. <laughs> I, still, I still very much do need that, actually. Uh, oh God, last Friday, um, half an hour of nothing. Oh my God. What's next for you, Matt? What's what's kind of coming up? Do you know what's happening now? Is everything being cancelled? Are you? No, no, no. So I'm turning this film into the, turning this book into a film. Um, and the, book got, the book is called Being Black and Chicken and Chips. So it is based on a, the stand up show, which I won Best Newcomer for in Melbourne in 2012. I then took a different show to Edinburgh, but I called it the same name. So it was called Being Black and Chicken and Shit. Um, and then, um, I changed the title to being black and chicken and chips because you can't have a book with the word shit in the title on uh, department store shelves in Australia. And, uh, and then, yeah, so we're turning that into the film and then, um, I'm developing a couple of shows right now. We've, we've had some good news about a show sort of in the last couple of days, which will 
which looks like we'll we'll get some some movement on pretty soon. And so I'm I'm excited about doing those things. And then I do a daily podcast every afternoon or every morning, sorry, for in Australia. It's afternoon for you guys. Um which is called All Day Breakfast, Matt and Alex, um with a, with my mate Alex Dyson. So that's what I'm focusing that was on. It's like a moment. breakfast show on the radio, right? It was one of the big breakfast shows that you've now transferred. In Australia, on. we had uh we hosted the Triple J Breakfast Show, which Triple J is like um I mean, it's not, it's not like BBC one, but it's, it's a very popular youth, like pop modern indie, uh, yeah. Radio show. It's sort of like a very big tastemaker in Australia in terms of music. Okay. And so, yeah, we hosted this breakfast show, which is rad. I mean, waking up early was sort of the worst waking up at four thirty every morning, especially coming from a stand-up background and the feedback. I'd never gotten immediate feedback like that, like written out feedback, you know, and when you do stand-up, people are like, like you, your, your feedback works from either silence up to positivity. It's a positive feedback scale. So it's either nothing mostly. And then, and then it's, or it's positive. Whereas like, this was just like people just texting in just like your shit, you suck all the time. So anytime anything happened, people would just be like, shut up, play more music, your shit. And you just like, I remember a guy texted us at 5.59 AM one morning, just being like, I was just getting ready for the show to start. And this text came in and said, shut up, O'Kine, you're not funny, go home. Right. And I was like, our show doesn't even start till six. Like this, this, it was a, it was a minute early. You know what I mean? Like that's how much people. He was anticipating was re- <laughs> you saying something. He, was, and he just wanted to get in early because he probably had to get in the car to drive to work or whatever, you know? And he's like, just, just letting you know before you start that you're shit. So yeah, it, was, it was a good, he was very good at timekeeping. He'd scheduled yeah, that. Yeah. That he wouldn't have time later. He was kind of. Probably wrote it the night before and said, I'll send it yeah. in the morning. <laughs> exactly. Set the alarm now. at five fifty nine, so he'd wake up at six. Then was like, "Oh, I'll just send it now while I'm still, you know, while I'm still groggy, and I can go back to bed." But yeah, so that was um that was a fun period in terms of the the stand up. Um, I mean, in terms of the the radio, and it taught me a lot about the craft as well, and and that sort of uh, that that sort of aspect of of that medium. It's a very immediate medium, which I really like. And you throw away ideas like they're nothing. You know, in stand-up, you work for an idea and, you know, you, you'll have to work with that idea for two years sometimes if it's in a show that you're going to be touring around the world. Whereas radio, you enter knowing the people will literally forget about it the second they get out of their car. So it just anything can, can go. And it's a really sort of, that's, that was a really liberating feeling as well, to be able to be like, oh, this doesn't have to be the most hilarious thing ever. It's just got to be better than being in a car in silence. Yeah. And it's interesting that you're probably playing to much bigger audiences and yet the things you're coming up with are like, that'll do. That'll do. Well, that's it because you are, you're, you're, you're talking to 500,000 people at a single time and yet you're not, you're just talking to your mate in the room. And like, that's just, you know, you know, I mean, you guys know what it's like. So it was like, that was a big wake up call in terms of that certainly gave me the confidence to do similar to what you were talking about, Nick, before and like going out in front of crowds and just, and riffing on ideas and building on them. It's true. Actually, because you also, if you do happen to come up with something in your head, which is you go, Oh, that's good. It's something you can expand on in your own time. Yeah, absolutely. 
<laughs> yeah, and then I mean, some things that you say on the day they they might turn into the good, the good stuff that you end up touring for ages. But yeah, but there's no pressure for them to. So it's uh, yeah, it, t- it taught me a lot. It taught me a lot about temperament when it comes to approaching creativity. Right, we better um, look at doing the game. Okay, so okay, right, so. Uh, we've um, come to the end of our uh, hour and uh, now we're going to play the game Better or Worse with Nathaniel Metcalf. Take it away, Nathaniel. So, Matt, this is the game and it's called Better or Worse and you have to say whether the next thing is better or worse than the... the, Well, the next person is better or worse than the person before based entirely on my own opinion. So I'm going to start with Sarah Jessica Parker. But is Sarah Michelle Geller better or worse than Sarah Jessica Parker. And is it is it like your opinion on them acting as a person? What? Don't overthink, Don't overthink it. If you're, you're who do you, what do you think? What do you think I would think? I think that you think that Sarah Jessica Parker is better than Sarah Michelle Gellar. I do. I do. That's one point. Is Michelle Pfeiffer better or worse than Sarah Michelle Gellar? Yeah, I think better as well. Better. Is Muhammad Ali better or worse than Michelle Pfeiffer? Yeah, I think better. Better. Is Taron Egerton better or worse than Muhammad Ali? Worse. 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 Is Pierce Brosnan better or worse than Taron Egerton? Better. Better. Is Piers Morgan better or worse than Pierce Brosnan? Better. Worse. He's worse. Is Morgan Freeman better or worse than Piers Morgan? Better. Better. Is Martin Freeman better or worse than Morgan Freeman? Worse. Yeah, I'd say worse. Worse. Is Martin Sheen better or worse than Martin Freeman? Uh, Better. Oh, I'm going to say worse. He's better. He's better. Uh. Is Charlie better or worse than mine, Shane? Who's, Who's that? that? Charlie Sheen, better or worse than Martin Sheen? Worse. 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 I think that's an eight. Pretty sure that's an eight. It's not a bad uh, you know what's annoying? I I mean, I, Piers Morgan, I just thought that you might have, I was going for like the, the wild card kind of, in case nah. you had like some yeah. respect for his, his, his like longevity, and outspokenness, Matt, you know. Matt, you overthought it. it. You overthought it. You paid the price. I didn't. I didn't necessarily think it's that your late. thoughts are like right, Matt. But I just thought that you would you would respect him for some reason. No, no, of course not. Uh, you scored an eight, which means that you are not as good as Jed Brister, Thomas Coombs, uh, Jason Manford, Joey Sladani with Sladani with ten, Ken Cheng, Harry Hill, Luke Morley with nine. But you are as good as Susie Dent, Charles Aston, uh, Magical Bones, Samantha Morton, Chris Stark, and Stu Whiffin with eight. And you're better than James King, Henry Norman, and Johnny Vegas with seven. So congratulations. You've scored an absolute bog standard eight. (laughs) Um, I am as average as they come. That sums um, up my life, my career, my hopes and dreams. Thank you, guys. That was um, that that was that was a lovely chat. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Uh, Welcome to the clubhouse. Uh, We've been talking to Matt Okine, and uh, I've been Nick Helm. This has been Nathaniel Metcalf. 
and uh, thank you for listening. I hope you all take care, and we'll talk to you next week. Right, thank you very much. Goodbye. Can you blatantly say, looking straight in her face, that you ain't telling tales to her? If you never tell a lie to her.